Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, thank you for joining us here today on Agriculture of America, AOA. Great to have you along for the ride. we got a lot to talk about on today's program. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Today's show brought to you by our friends at Cenex. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Everything powered locally by your nearest Cenex location. You can find that one online at Cenex.com. Coming up on today's program, I mentioned we got a lot to uh, talk about and cover here today. We're going to talk with Chris Bliley with Growth Energy coming up here in segment two. Get some updates on the reintroduction of the Adopt Greet Act in the Senate here uh, just a few days ago. And we're going to talk about other ethanol-related, biofuels-related issues with Chris coming up here in just a little bit. In segment three today, Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX, will give us a rundown and a look of what is happening in the commodity markets And then I'll have a look at some of the latest Ag News headlines for you to round out the show today in segment four. First up, though, joining us now here on AOA, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, Dan Hallstrom is with us. Dan, it's great to talk with you again. How are things going? Uh, Thank you for having me, Jesse. Pleasure to be here. Uh, Yeah, the the August stats came out a week or so ago, and... uh, the momentum, especially on pork, that we've seen earlier in the year continues. Uh, yeah. And beef, uh, albeit still down, has um, had a good month in August, actually, a little bit better in some of the key markets. So, yeah. Things are looking good. I was going to say pork. Um, man, oh, man. Those uh, those uh, exports to Mexico seem to be a continued big driver in that pork market, Dan. Without a doubt. Um, Mexico has been the shining star all year. Uh, August, no exception, up another 12% year on year. We're up 14% record pace for the year. And all segments are hitting on all cylinders, retail, food service, the tourism is booming down in Mexico. So, uh, yeah, I don't know where we would be at if we didn't have Latin America in general, because Central America is doing quite well, and so is the Caribbean area. So, uh, so yeah, it's a it's, and, and it's not just pork, beef as well is doing uh you know surprisingly well in Mexico. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a good situation overall. What about some other markets? I know last time you and I talked, you were in Japan uh, on a trade mission there. Uh, what about our Asian country friends uh, on the pork side? Things looking good there still here this month. <clears throat> Yeah, pork is uh, is showing upticks in Asia. Uh, Japan was up five or six percent in August, uh, and, and about a break even year on year. So that's quite the improvement in Japan on pork compared to the first half of the year. Uh, Korea, Korea actually is is down a bit. Um, you know, it's uh, it, it's really kind of a, a mixed bag. But for the year, Korea is up four or five percent. August was just down a bit. But the tone is much better, uh, without a doubt. Japan, Korea, and Taiwan included. Taiwan's up remarkably year on year. We're taking quite a bit of share away from Europe down in the Taiwan market on pork as well. Uh, On the beef side, I know uh, you mentioned some numbers lower. I I know we've been struggling on the food service side in some of our Asian markets. You and I talked about that here uh, a few weeks back. 
And, you know, I look at uh, weekly export sales, uh, beef. We set another new marketing year low here uh, this past week. And so talk about beef exports. I know we're having a little bit of a down period right now, it feels like. But what's your take on, on how beef exports are looking overall? We look at the August numbers and, and really the year to date in general. What's your take on how things are going on the beef side right now? Well, you're exactly right. The um, food service in particular continues to be the challenge. Uh, that, and uh, in the case of Japan, a very strong U.S. dollar. Uh, we, we broke the 150, 150 yen to the dollar barrier here a couple of times in the last few weeks. Um, so so that's, that's definitely a headwind we, we're dealing with. Um, that being said, um, I think that uh, the food service area is showing signs of life. Um, you know, it's got a ways to go in Japan, but in Korea and in Taiwan in particular, um, we are starting to see quite a bit more activity with tourism and with uh, just the general uh, attitude of the consumer. Uh, so those are some bright spots. And I think, um, I think Japan has, you know, the, the, the bad news is that, that the food service is struggling. The good news is that it won't struggle forever. I mean, uh, we're mm -hmm. starting to see Chinese tourists go start going into more of Asia, including Japan. So there's some real upside, I think, as we get into the latter part of this year and definitely into 2024, which which will help the numbers going into Japan. Dan, how about lamb exports? Let's touch on those a little bit. What did the August numbers look like there? Yeah, well, August we were down about 14%. Um, but the value was up uh, a bit, and uh, it continues to be uh, uh, we continue to see some some gains there, especially into uh, Mexico, Latin America, and the Caribbean region, and uh, and Canada as well. And so I think there's some upside there as we go forward. And, and once again, Mexico is is the key market. So you know, as I said earlier. Mexico's the shining star, not only on pork, but beef and lamb as well. Mm -hmm. Well, Dan, as we look here at the uh, fourth quarter of 2023, I mean, we got the holiday season in front of us. That's always a, a very big time, it feels like, here domestically, uh, as well as for the export market, too, as we round out the year. What are the possibilities? What What is on your mind as you look at the remainder of the year? What are you going to be watching for? Well, I'm going to be watching food service close in Asia. I'm going to be watching all the markets. Traditionally, the fourth quarter is the largest consumption time of year, similar to, to it is being that way here in the U.S. Um, so I think we're going to set up well for some momentum going into the end of the year, especially on pork. Uh, and, and like I said, a rebound potentially on some of the segments for the food service for beef as well. So uh you know, I, I, considering we're down five, a little over five percent on production for beef, and the fact that we're probably looking at about an eight or nine percent decrease for the year on beef exports, I don't think we're in a bad spot considering some of the headwinds. So, I'm still uh, optimistic going forward. Uh, very optimistic on pork for obvious reasons, but I'm also optimistic for a rebound on beef, uh, especially at the food service level. And if my memory serves me correctly, Dan, I know last year, 2022, we had a pretty good year on beef. So some of these numbers being a bit lower, I mean, maybe we have to look at it in perspective of uh, the good year that we saw, the really good year we saw in 2022, right? 
Oh, without a doubt, Jesse, that's a great point. I mean, we're talking about being down eight or nine percent, but that's off an all-time record from a year ago. So the worst case scenario is that 2023 is going to end up the third largest year for beef exports. And, and if we have a, a a little bit of a push in the fourth quarter, it could be the second highest year ever. So those numbers are still pretty good if you put it in the scheme of the of the macro, uh, you know, the macro situation from last year's record. Well, we appreciate the time and going through the uh, latest numbers. Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Dan, always great to talk with you and uh, have a great rest of your day, sir. We'll talk to you again real soon. Thank you so much. All right, coming up next year on AOA, we're going to talk with Chris Bliley, SVP of Regulatory Affairs for Growth Energy. That's coming up next on AOA, brought to you by Cenex, Maxtron, Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. challenge. It's not something you shy from. It's a chance to up your game. Every day brings a new challenge, but with the Enhanced Channel Seed brand on your side, you can rise to it. With our top-performing seed, innovative digital tools, and expanded agronomic support, you can turn tomorrow's challenges into your next advantage. Your Enhanced Channel Seed brand. Let's rise to the challenge. Learn more at channel.com rise. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Did you know that pork is the world's most consumed meat? Pork comprises over one-third of all meat consumed. Pigs were domesticated over 9,000 years ago in 7,000 BC, and there are more than 180 species of pigs. Why pork? Well, it's not just because everybody loves bacon. Historically speaking, pork is a very easy meat to preserve via smoking, curing, or salting. Not only could it keep well before refrigeration, but it also tastes great under various preservation tactics and adaptable to a variety of flavors, spices, and dishes across different cultures and regions. There are twice as many pigs as there are people in Denmark. Did you also know that China is the world's lead pork producer? In 2020, they produced an impressive 41.13 million metric tons of the meat, which equates to almost 91 billion pounds. So the next time you dive into that plate of bacon, know that pork is the world's most consumed meat. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, 
so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America here today, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel and Cenex Roadmaster XL, everyday products powered locally by Cenex. Find your nearest Cenex location very easily online at Cenex.com. Well, joining us now on the program, we want to talk with Growth Energy, their SVP of Regulatory Affairs. Chris Bliley is with us. Chris, great to talk with you. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, glad to be with you, Jesse, and uh, really looking forward to the discussion. Well, thanks for the time, and I want to start that discussion. I know earlier this week we had the reintroduction of the Adopt-Greet Act in the Senate uh, by Senators John Thune of South Dakota and Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota. Tell us a little bit more about what exactly this GREET Act is and how it could be a benefit to the ethanol industry, biofuels, and agriculture as a whole, Chris. Yeah, no, um, you hit the nail right on the head. Um, this is legislation that is really reintroduced by Senators Thune and Klobuchar, and the bill would require the Environmental Protection Agency, EPA, to use Argonne National Lab's GREET model for modeling of ethanol, biodiesel, and all of this year, all approved fuel pathways under the Renewable Fuel Standard. I mean, it's really, really important. Argonne Greed is really the gold standard of biofuels modeling. And we know that biofuels are low carbon. Um, it just makes little sense why EPA is not using the GREET model today. Um, and unfortunately, their outdated model really doesn't capture the innovation that's taking place at the plant and, as you said, on the farm. I mean, things that our producers are doing to lower greenhouse gas emissions, things that are happening on the farm that, you know, just improvements in yield and efficiency, you know, that is built into the GREET model that gets updated each year. And unfortunately, EPA is using science that dates back more than a decade at this point. So we are very appreciative of Senators Thune and Klobuchar for reintroducing this bill, and we're hoping to get some momentum. Well, I'll talk about you know, why is EPA still using such outdated uh, measurements here? I mean, you think about the GREAT model, as you mentioned, obviously it's been, you know, that's kind of the standard now, but yet EPA is not using it. Do we, do we really know and understand why they haven't updated uh, to the GREAT model already? Well, I don't know if there's a particular reason that they haven't. Um, just that things, in, in, as you know, at EPA take a great deal of time. They sure. did start a process to look at life cycle modeling. And so greed is one of the things that they're looking at. Um, but in our view, it's, it's well past time um, to implement you know, what we view as sound science and recognize biofuels outsized role in, in creating a clean energy future. And you know, we think it could be made you know, expeditiously. Um, we are continuing to push on EPA to do this, but I think that's exactly why Senators Thune and Klobuchar have, have reintroduced this legislation is, you know, because EPA is taking so much time here, they want to keep the momentum up and see if they can get traction in Congress for this change as well. 
I know another issue, uh, Chris, this week that uh, I know Growth Energy, many others, made comments to NHTSA, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, talking about CAFE standards, the corporate average fuel economy standards for passenger cars and light trucks. First off, what exactly are the CAFE standards beyond just the the brief definition I gave there? Can you tell us what they are and, and what we're looking at here? Sure. So every five years, uh, NHTSA, National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, updates the fuel economy standards for light-duty vehicles, so cars and trucks, um, or, or they set standards for five-year five increments. So they have proposed standards for my years 2027 through 22. And they do this in conjunction somewhat with EPA that sets corresponding greenhouse gas standards for those same vehicles. Um, and these are, you know, really what you see on the sticker when you go buy a car. Um, and our concern really with these standards is that it neglects the role of biofuels. Um, NHTSA set a baseline using electric vehicles, which we don't think is consistent with the law. Um, so we, our comments really focused on, you know, removing electric vehicles from its sort of baseline calculation. Look at the role of biofuels, particularly high octane mid-level ethanol blends can be used to maximize vehicle efficiency, things like E30. And I think the additional piece is we want automakers to get appropriate credit for using some of these higher ethanol blends, E85, E85. E15, E30, want them to get credit so that they'll continue to make things like flex fuel vehicles and potentially optimized engines around mid-level blends. And and I think, you know, you hear a lot of concern about these standards from us as well as many other stakeholders, including the corn growers and others, because of the impact that this has on fuel demand. We know we have low carbon liquid biofuels, and this rule really neglects the role that they can play. Well, and I think about that uh, role that those low-carbon biofuels can play, Chris. And, you know, you mentioned uh, electric vehicles, and obviously with uh, uh, electric vehicles, if they have a a wide, long range before they got to be recharged, I feel like that could maybe skew some of these standards if if they're incorporated and, and make it almost not impossible, but make it tougher for, for, you know, low carbon biofuels to, you know, meet the same numbers. Say an electric vehicle can go, you know, 60, 70 miles and low carbon ethanol vehicle could go 55 miles to the gallon, for instance, or whatever the case may be. It just, it seems like that could, you know, when you throw in the electric vehicles, it could skew things a bit, can't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think I think it it changes the dynamics on the standards greatly. I think the other things to consider are, you know, the energy security aspects and, and immediate contributions biofuels can make. You know, biofuels like E15 can be used in nearly every car on the road today, all 2001 and newer vehicles. They don't require a changeover in infrastructure. And then you can produce those immediate benefits of greenhouse gas and particulate emission reductions, as well as improving our energy security without changing you know, fueling infrastructure or energy delivery infrastructure. And so you actually get more benefits faster um, on the environmental side 
by using these higher blends. And like, like as just as you said, by including electric vehicles in this baseline, you know, it really does skew the numbers quite a bit. Um, and it also, you know, highlights the neglect of biofuels in this rule. We are talking today with Chris Belily from Growth Energy. And Chris, uh, you mentioned E15 there real quick, and I just want to ask any updates. I know we're still working to get year-round E15. Uh, any news on that front that you could share with us? Well, I think it, you know, continues to be a high priority for growth energy and many others um, in this space. Uh, you know, we are uh, closing in on 3,000, you know, we've got more than 3,000 stations out there in the U.S. and 31 states. Um, and it is critical that we get year-round sale. Um, we are very of the Midwestern governors who've to opt out, basically seek their own permanent solution in their states. Um, and we are anxious that EPA finalize that rule as soon as possible. And related, you know, we are also very, you know, very supportive of efforts in Congress to address this permanently nationwide. You know, we were able to get emergency waivers based on the situation in Ukraine and globally the past couple years. So we've been able to sell E15 in the summer, every summer since 2019. Um, but we really need sort of that more permanent fix. And so we'll be looking towards EPA to finalize this state opt-out rule. And at the same time, you know, continuing to push for momentum in Congress to get a more permanent national solution so that we can continue to grow the market. Chris, before we let you go as well, I know Thursday morning Growth Energy announced a uh, new chairman of your board of directors, Tom Willis. Can you uh, talk about that a little bit for us? Yeah, we're very excited. Uh, Tom is our is our new chairman of the board. He's currently the CEO of Conestoga Energy Holdings in Kansas. Um, and, you know, Tom will be replacing our outgoing chairman, Dan Sanders, the CEO of Front Range Energy. Um, Dan, did Dan did and continues to do tremendous work on our board of directors, but I think we're really excited excited to welcome Tom. He's been, he's been a, a longtime member and a longtime member of our board of directors. And I think he's really excited to bring a lot of the innovation that they've done in Kansas and a lot of the work they've done, you know, be it in co-products, be it at, you know, examination of many of these different markets, um, you know, and that real leadership to our organization. And so, as a staff, we're very excited to work with Tom. Uh, we're very appreciative of Dan's efforts the past few years as chairman, and we're looking forward to an exciting year ahead. Well, with that, SVP of Regulatory Affairs with Growth Energy, Chris Belily, thanks for joining us on AOA today, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me on, Jesse, and look forward to talking to you anytime. And you can stay up to date as well online, growthenergy.org. All right, coming up next on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. We'll talk markets with Arlen Suderman from Stonex on the way right after this. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the latest episode of The Monthly Grind with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. We'll discuss the latest topics surrounding the corn industry, the relationships between corn and other parts of the agricultural supply chain, the newest initiatives and partnerships from NCGA's Market Development Action Team, and much more. That's the first Wednesday of every month for The Monthly Grind on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. 
So how's harvest? Higher yield potential starts with the season-long systemic disease protection of Zyway brand fungicides from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides protect corn crops from key foliar diseases and support physiological benefits that help develop healthier, higher yielding corn for a difference you'll appreciate at harvest. Visit your FMC retailer for an at-plant advantage. Always read and follow all label directions. You're listening to AOA for the American Egg Network. I'm Richard Risfet with this Market Update. Wheat and corn futures were higher in overnight trading as a weaker dollar may boost demand for U.S. grains. The dollar fell this week amid ongoing uncertainty about the path of interest rates. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell made some dovish remarks in his speech yesterday. That's putting pressure on the greenback. The Fed is facing the task of bringing down inflation while also balancing too much tightening of monetary policy with not tightening enough. Data in the past few months have been good, but inflation is still too high. It is still above the Fed's 2% target. That weaker dollar is making goods sold in greenbacks more attractive to overseas buyers and may boost demand for U.S. egg products. Now, sales of corn and wheat for overseas delivery narrowed slightly in the seven days that ended October 12th, while soybean sales increased. Corn sales were down 3% week-to-week and 15% from the prior four-week average. Mexico was the biggest buyer at 260,300 tons. That's followed by Guatemala and then Colombia. Wheat sales fell 3% as well week-to-week to to 632,800 metric tons. That's still up 42%, though, from the prior four-week average. China was in for 181,500 tons of that, with Philippines coming in at about 125,000 tons. Exports of U.S. wheat rose 12% to 385,100 tons last week. Now, soybean sales, they're being reported up 30% from the previous week and 92% from the average. China bought 946,700 tons of them, while yields on 10-year treasuries are trading near 4.94%, and yields on 2-year treasuries are trading near 5.11%. That's after briefly probing to fresh 17-year highs near 5.26% yesterday, And that inversion between the two is nearly erased as the long end of the yield curve continues to outperform the near term. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility. Independence changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Welcome back to AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. You can find all of your uh, favorite Cenex products very easily at your local Cenex location. 
and you can find that local location. If you don't know where it's at, just go online to Cenex.com. Everyday products powered locally by Cenex. Well, we want to turn our attention to what is going on in the market trade. We've seen here this past week, December corn, November beans have broken through some key psychological and or chart related levels here can we hold those levels how are things looking in this market overall joining us now for a conversation arlen suderman chief commodities economist at stonex arlen great to talk with you again hope you're doing well i am jesse it's good to be back with you once again and it's very interesting markets that we're dealing with now is uh, the dynamics are changing fast a little bit of uh, volatility coming back into these uh, grain markets, especially, which, you know, after a, a month or so of it, what just felt like uh, market dragging on and on, it's nice to have a, a few uh, few different uh, points of volatility, a few fireworks here and there. Uh, let's talk about grains and specifically getting through what uh, uh, those nice round numbers of $5 Dece corn, $13 November soybeans. Uh, trying our best to hold above those levels uh, into the uh, weekend on Friday. What's your thoughts with uh, these markets breaking through those uh, those nice round numbers, Arlen? Well, that is significant, something to pay attention to. I think it's important to put a backdrop behind all this of the increased fear levels that we're seeing on Wall Street among fund, fund managers. And that fear is driven by a, a several different things. Number one is obviously the increased tensions in the Middle East. That really escalated yesterday uh, when we saw that uh, the USSS Kearney a destroyer in the Middle East in the Persian Gulf just south of the Suez Canal shut down some missiles and drones that were getting too close to it. Um, they may very well have been on their way toward Israeli targets, uh, targets in Israel, um, but they were close enough to the U.S. destroyer that it decided it was a risk and a threat to it, and it shot them down. We also then had confirmation of uh, efforts or failed attempts at mm -hmm. uh, attacking U.S. troops in Iraq and in Syria as well. So this suggests the, the risk of escalation in the Middle East region. So what does that mean for the grain and oil seeds? It's obvious what it means for energy because you potentially, if you have something blow up in the Middle East, that could disrupt energy. So crude oil going up makes sense. But what about grain and oil seeds? Well, if you're a fund manager and you have a large position be it long or short, long means they've bought ownership, or short means they've been heavily selling that commodity, you start getting nervous when there's uncertainty. And as the VIX, which is Wall Street's fear index, now pushes above 20 to 21 area, that fear level is slowly creeping up, and so they become more uneasy with those short positions. They start to unwind those short positions. That triggers chart signals as the charts start to turn. That causes more short covering than if you're on the short side. Or on beans, it's the other direction. But beans ran into some significant layers of chart resistance yesterday. We're not able to push through it. That's why we're seeing a little bit of pullback. On the other hand, corn and wheat have been pushing through chart resistance, pushing above it, triggering additional short covering. So a lot of the movement we're seeing now isn't necessarily fundamental, although there are some fundamental factors, but a lot of it is simply technical 
related with the fear, increasing concerns about maintaining their large positions that they had and trying to even up some of those positions until we know more about how this is going to play out. I mentioned the Middle East. Another fear mm-hmm. factor, uh, of course, is uh, interest rates, particularly in long end of the yield curve, going up, creating more economic uncertainty. And then fears that we'll get another credit downgrade as we approach the funding deadline for the government on November 17th. Well, and I appreciate you know the backdrop of the thoughts there. And obviously, uh, to your point, a lot of funds and the algo computers uh, don't uh, – they don't want to be, uh, you know, into a weekend without some cover here. So, hence some of the short covering we've seen this past week. I, I want to bring in the perspective of how this plays into farmer selling here in the U.S. As I, I've heard a lot more talk about a lot of folks, if they have the on-farm storage, they are putting corn and soybeans in the bin, waiting for better prices. I just have to wonder if getting through some of these key levels and getting a little bit of a better price on the board, if that could potentially spur on some more farmer selling here as harvest is on the downswing, Arlen. Yeah, it certainly can. We've got active harvest progress this week. As we get into next week, it looks like the rains are going to start increasing across the Midwest. That kind of slows down that harvest progress, tends to slow harvest selling as well. Farmers tend to do some selling until they get it in the bin and lock the bin door, and then it tends to sit there for a while, kind of tightening things up. As you look at this, Unless there's a solid fundamental reason for going up, then you have to concern yourself, what is the sustainability of this? Now, funds can take things on a ride further than what we think at times, but it does say, you know, be a little bit more advantageous of taking advantage of some rallies when they're presented. One of the keys is is to look at the structure of the market. Is there a lot of carry in the market? Is premium in the deferred contracts that a storage hedge would help pay for the cost storage? Members with higher interest rates, the cost of storing grain is higher now than what it used to been over the last several years. Uh, be it you could pay off operating notes if you sold the grain or put it at uh, interest at treasuries, uh, what you would get from that or something along that line. Um, Is the market rewarding you for storing or if it's not? If it's not, then you look at the basis opportunities. Is basis really weak right now or is basis stronger than what you would anticipate? Those are some of the factors that kind of go into, depending on what region you're in, your decisions of the seller to store. Arlen, how is South America's planting and and weather starting to play into the broader market picture, the broader export picture? Uh, I know uh, some concerns about dryness in Argentina and in Brazil is starting to get some chatter around the trade. Is that something you're really concerned about right now or something that just bears watching? Well, typical El Nino, and this has been anything but typical, but a typical El Nino, Argentina does get good rains during their growing season. They've been extremely dry. That's giving them another short wheat crop, it looks like. They've, it is corn planting season now, but it's, think of it as mid-April or so in the U.S. Midwest. It's still early. So if the rains start coming by November, they can still be in good shape there. And right now, the forecast models are suggesting a 
uh, an increase of rains here in the next few days. That should really benefit that area. Then we can see if we can see that become more of a trend. Some forecasters think that will become a better trend in November. Others disagree. When you come into Brazil, uh, we watch the planting pace. They've been in their dry season, uh, so they need a good two-inch rain to really get in there and, and wet the soils enough to plant and, and get good germination and establishment. Those rains have been spotty so far in the center west, the most highly prod productive areas of Brazil. Planting progress to this point has just been a little, a few points below seasonal levels. As of Friday, it was at 18%. Normally, it'd be around 22%. So it's a little bit of slowness there. But as I talked to the people there, I said, yeah, it's a concern, but nobody's really panicked about it. There had been some, <clears throat> the European weather model, which has done the best job thus far, had been calling for some really soaking rains next week, which would really get the crop off to a good start. Um, but it's starting to trend drier, and that's a concern. As those rains move forward into forecast, they're starting to back off in intensity and coverage. Still pretty good, but I don't like the trend. So through the weekend, that's going to be a critical factor, I think, as we come into Monday's trade. Well, and in the backdrop of all this is China and what they are doing with imports. And they've been getting a lot from South America, not so much from the U.S. as we enter our key export window, especially for soybeans. And you, know, you look at China, it sounds like they've been uh, possibly, we don't necessarily know, uh, but possibly rebuilding their reserve levels here. And it'll be an interesting thing to watch if they continue to source more from South America or if they potentially start taking beans from the U.S. here, Arlen. Yeah, we believe that they've added about 5 million metric tons of soybeans to their reserves during this calendar year. So they have rebuilt them and they've got some reserves there if they need to. Their biggest concern right now is uh, low water levels on the Panama Canal that add to costs and delays of anything that comes in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, so they are actively taking soybeans from the Pacific Northwest, but there is a limit of what they can get from the Gulf. We know that for, for October, November shipment, they've bought better than 40% of their soybeans this year from South America, mostly Brazil, for those reasons. And Brazil's had ample supplies to be competitive to be able to offer. U.S. soybeans are now better priced than Brazil because of some of the dryness concerns in Brazil. So rather than just wholeheartedly switch to the U.S. supplies, they've kind of slowed down their buying to see if these rains fall next week, to see if maybe that'll bring the price back down in Brazil once again and they can jumpstart those purchases. They've purchased very few beans or what they need for really late November, December, and into January. So they have a lot of beans in order to purchase. If those rains fall, they'll probably buy a lot of Brazilian beans. If those rains don't fall, then they'll probably have to come in the United States. So how that comes down could have a big impact on whether U.S. soybean prices continue to push higher or whether they pull back. Fantastic thoughts. Appreciate the time as always. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX. Arlen, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. All right. Coming up next here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex, Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. We'll take a look at Ag News headlines before we wrap it up here today on AOA, Agriculture of America. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. 
This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference, bite by bite. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Chris Ludwig, who leads corn trading and risk management for CHS about grain supply and demand. Chris, how is this year's harvest shaping up? You know, of course, there's some mixed results, but overall on this early harvest, there's been, you know, some optimism and some better than expected yields. And of course, there's areas that were very dry that don't, but everything right now is coming off as expected. Chris, what marketing strategies should farmers consider during and after harvest? I think farmers need to look at a couple things. One is interest rates are, are really high. So whether you have an operating loan or you can just go into your local bank and buy a CD that's yielding over 5%, that's been the biggest change here coming in into this year. So I think you got to really think about what kind of interest you're foregoing by hanging on to commodities. Right now on soybeans, it could be $0.08 cents a month. On corn, it could be 5 So as you're Making those decisions on whether to sell or hold these interests has got to be a part of that equation. And then I think you got to look at, you know, what percent sold are you? Our numbers would say farmers are somewhere between 20, 25% sold here going into harvest. I think, or we think that, you know, you should be closer to 40. So if you're not, you know, in that 40 range, you know, now would be a good time to get some grain sold and catch up a little bit. Well, we've been talking with Chris Ludwig, who leads corn trading and risk management for CHS about grain supply and demand. Chris, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. Any information or opinions presented are for informational purposes only and do not constitute trading, legal, or other professional advice. CHS makes no warranties about any information or opinions provided and shall not be liable for the use thereof or any errors or omissions therein. When people look at your farm, they just see corn. But to you, it's a lot more than that. 
It's a college fund, your retirement plan, and it deserves trait protection that can stand up to heavy pressure threats like corn woodworm. SmartStacks Pro with RNAi technology is trusted on over 1 million acres to protect the things that mean more. Trade up at SmartStacksPro.com. Always read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. Copyright 2023 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Sports allow us to play, learn, and grow. But there's something more important than victory. At the U.S. Center for Safe Sport, we believe every athlete deserves to be safe. Safe from abuse and misconduct on and off the field. We equip athletes, parents, coaches, and others with the right education to recognize, prevent, and respond to harmful behavior. Join the movement to champion respect and end abuse at uscenterforsafesport.org. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Well, caution being urged in Washington, D.C. about fertilizer duties from a number of agriculture groups. What exactly am I talking about? Well, we're going to discuss that here as we take a look at news headlines. Welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America. As we are brought to you today by our friends at Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Well, the National Corn Growers Association and 62 other ag groups say fertilizer shortages are creating a hardship for U.S. farmers. The group sent a letter to Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo asking her to consider the current difficulties faced by farmers as she recalculates duties on phosphate fertilizer imported from Morocco. Now, according to the letter, quote, high costs and limited availability of fertilizer continue to strain family farms across the U.S., end quote. Now, the duties levied on fertilizers have caused some of the top phosphate fertilizer importers to drastically reduce the amount brought in. The letter comes after the U.S. Court of International Trade ordered the agency to reconsider its previous decision on recalculating the duties. Now, the letter says duties levied on phosphate imports combined with other factors have led to substantial price volatility over the past three years as prices increased 230 percent from 2020 to 2022. A termination is going to be announced on December 13th. So something to definitely keep our eyes on could be something to watch closely. Well, the never-ending legal fight over EPA's wetlands jurisdiction and which ones are waters of the U.S. or not it's likely to live up to its reputation. That's from testimony at a Senate hearing. The Environmental Protection Agency's vagueness at a final Waters of the U.S. rule intended to conform to the Supreme Court's May decision in Sackett versus the EPA will only lead to more lawsuits. Former EPA Assistant Administrator for Enforcement Susan Bodine says the agency did end the significant nexus wetlands test from its original January rule. But in the preamble in January 23, Again, that you can say something is relatively permanent just if you see a bed and bank, just if you see like wet leaves. That's the same test that had been used in the past to identify a stream, even a stream or a channel that only has water when it rains. A vagueness the American Farm Bureau complained last month will upend the point of two Supreme Court cases and decades of litigation by half the states and farm groups to end EPA wetlands uncertainty. Bodine agreed. 
They could have written bright lines in their conforming rule and, and chose not to. I do think that the agencies are trying to hold on to as much jurisdiction as you know, that they wanted. There has to be some case by case. I can't, I'm not going to say that everything is absolutely bright line. But what we have here is essentially 100% case by case. Well, that's complicated by a patchwork of states, 27 of which won court freezes of EPA's overturned January rule and now face a pre-2015 WOTUS interpretation. West Virginia Senator Shelley Moore Capitos showed a map. The purple is conforming to the 2015 rule. The green is to the new rule. I mean, how in the world are farmers or, or construction, anything going to go forward trying to figure this maze of regulatory mishmash? The need for national consistency was one of the things that Capito and Chair Tom Carper agreed on. Capito and Bodine agreed EPA's final rule opened the door to more regulatory overreach and likely more lawsuits and another WOTUS rule. While low water levels along the Mississippi River are causing transportation disruptions for agriculture, the river saw record low levels earlier this month. We've been following this situation here on AOA. The lower levels mean less product can flow along the river. American Farm Bureau Federation economist Danny Munch explains how farmers can buffer against transportation disruptions like this one. One of the big options is looking at grain storage. When farmers have a sufficient storage capacity close to where they're growing, it means they can have a place to offload harvest if downstream transportation options are too expensive or unavailable, as they are in many places right now. On-farm storage allows them to have almost full control over when they want to market those goods so they can really track transportation prices and other market factors before making the ultimate decision to sell or ship their product. USDA data shows the United States has 25.4 billion bushels of grain storage capacity. When you look at total current stocks as well as expected harvest, that number is 23.12 billion bushels. So comparing those two numbers, we have about a 2.2 billion bushel surplus of grain storage, which means we have a little bit of wiggle room, which is good during these low river conditions. It's not uniform across all states, though. So depending on the state you're in, some product is going to have to find another way to move. Now, the decision to store grain for longer periods of time does require some financial considerations. High interest rates increase the cost of storage and elevators, which means farmers might receive lower bids for their crops. Farmers also have large sums of money tied up in grain inventory based on the capital that they borrowed for the season's expenses. And that can be paid back when they sell their product. So if they choose to store the product, those farmers are on the hook for more interest payments and continue to have all that capital tied up. But obviously weighing the costs and benefits is really important for each individual farmer. And you can learn more on the Market Intel page at fb.org. Butter prices have hit a record high this month as lower production levels are creating supply constraints heading into the holiday season when demand normally peaks. USDA says spot butter prices on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange hit a record high at $3.44 pound last week, $3.44 a pound. August butter production was at the lowest level in almost five years because of tighter milk supplies, fewer imports, and the increased use of cream in making other products. Now, Agriculture Dive says the summer's heat impacted milk supplies in two ways. The heat caused cows to produce less milk, and consumers demanded more ice cream and other dairy-based products. U.S. butter use has trended higher year over year since February, but production hasn't kept up. Year-to-date, domestic use was 8.2% higher than last year, while production and imports rose only 4%. USDA says the surge in demand is much higher than typical. And finally, as well here on AOA Today, 
Organic Valley Cooperative released its limited-time eggnog with a new recipe. It's made from scratch and coming just in time for the holiday season. The farmer-owned organic co-op calls the new recipe its organic reduced-fat eggnog, which is already available for purchase throughout the country. Milk is sourced from small family farms, as well as the eggs, sugar, nutmeg, and natural flavor. Dairy Processing reports that, like all Organic Valley products, the eggnog's milk comes from dairy farms where the cows are raised without the use of antibiotics, synthetic hormones, toxic pesticides, or GMOs. Uh, Hard to believe that we're already talking eggnog and uh, the holiday season. Man, oh man, it's coming up quick just around the corner. All right, we're out of time here on AOA today. Thank you for joining us. The program brought to you by Cenex, Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Have a great rest of your day. I'm Jesse Allen. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Challenge. It's not something you shy from. It's a chance to up your game. Every day brings a new challenge. But with the Enhanced Channel Seed brand on your side, you can rise to it. With our top-performing seed, innovative digital tools, and expanded agronomic support, you can turn tomorrow's challenges into your next advantage. Your Enhanced Channel Seed brand. Let's rise to the challenge. Learn more at channel.com slash rise. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. This is Ernie Johnson Jr. Sports is about overcoming obstacles, and college coaches work hard to help young men overcome Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It's called Coach to Cure MD, and you can help. Text the word CURE to 501-501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill, or go online to coachtocuremd.org. Text the word CURE to 501-501. Help coaches cure MD. Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org.